So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right? Everyone's cup is filled. Um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. It started to make a lot of sense to me that if we fixed money, we fixed so many problems in society. And so as a technology person, I was like, what should I be working on that's more important than this? this is, there's nothing more important than this. Hello and welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today I have on Dre Thompson, who's the Executive Vice President at Startup Tucson. It's a pretty fancy uh, title. Maybe I need to come up with a more fancy title for myself, the Executive Podcast Producer of Tucson Bitcoin. Whatever. She's great. Uh, she's awesome. Um, we had a great conversation about the local Tucson economy and how businesses uh, fit into it. I tried to orange pill her at a point and she was very open-minded to it which i think is pretty cool um, a lot of people hear bitcoin and are resistant to it uh, but it was just a really fun conversation she's got an awesome background and if you don't know about tucson startup you gotta go check these guys out they're awesome and we're recording welcome to the podcast Dre. thanks so much alex i'm excited to be here so you've got a pretty cool background and <laughs> excuse me and it's kind of similar to mine um in the sense of it looks like you uh got a degree in uh a master's degree in along the lines of social work um social services administration uh what what brought you away from that direction into working with businesses yeah, so um, just a little background right now. I I work for Startup Tucson, so I work with kind of early stage companies. Um, so my my initial my initial background is very research focused. So really looking at the ways that we can build programs that can effectively transform communities, and really looking at kind of big hairy social problems, um, and how can we with good science and good data start to sort of dismantle them. So one of my, my, my major focus area was gang violence in Chicago. Um, I also worked a lot in New York in early childhood, um, prevention, science. So that was kind of my background. I was always really excited about how can we create a, a better systems than we have already. Um, so always, so I was always doing that. I worked at NYU. I was a researcher. I was um, doing population health at the time. Um, and then I always had like on my, my little side hustle that I was always kind of working on, just like a lot of other millennials. Um, so I was a, a children's book illustrator and I did graphic design. I kind of taught oh, wow. myself self development. Um, and so I just always had this like little thing that I was like kind of working away on. Um, through that process, I, I ended up moving to Arizona for a number of reasons we can talk about, but, um, uh, you know, so it was an opportunity for me to relook at different career paths. 
prevention science wasn't a big thing in Arizona at the time. It's getting a little better now. So I started helping companies um, evaluate the impact of their work. So I worked with nonprofits to help them measure through data and research, were they actually accomplishing what they set out to do, which really helped me start doing strategic planning for companies and really understand that organizational development of, of companies and nonprofits. So I really like geeked out on that. I thought that was really fun. Um, and then I was, you know, always kind of picking away on my little business and then I ended up starting to bring a lot more contracts in and I had a really hard time figuring out the system to start my business and I made a ton of mistakes in terms of how I was registering for my taxes and it just, it was a really complicated thing. So I got interested. I was like, oh, how do people figure this out? What supports are there for folks that are like trying to start these businesses? Um, and, and so that kind of brought me to Startup Tucson. I thought it was a really cool community. Tucson is one of those cities that is just always on that kind of cusp of growth and we're seeing a ton of growth right now. So I thought, well, this is a really interesting and exciting time to be in Tucson. Um, and, and my hope working at, at Startup Tucson is again, kind of bringing some of that um, research knowledge and organizational development knowledge, um, a little bit of my creative hustle. I still bring, I still have startups help with that. I still help startups with that. Um, and, and kind of like my biggest question is like, how can we think about startup communities in different ways than it's done before? We've seen a lot of startup communities have sort of um, had pro and cons in cities like San Francisco and Austin and Seattle. And like that one part of me that's very like questions driven is like, can we do it different? Is there a third way? Can you have like strong growth, but also retain a lot of um, local support and we're gonna, you know, a lot of cohesion and not have a lot of displacement. So, so that's kind of bringing together all these sort of like backgrounds that I had. Um, so it's been, it's been an exciting and kind of twisty journey. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned prevention science. What, what is that? Okay. So prevention science is a very interesting form of social studies and social sciences that basically is it's complicated because you have to measure, did your impact prevent something from happening? So because there was this program, did it prevent people from engaging in, in, in gang violence? You know, so it's, it's a very interesting, it has like a part philosophy, part social studies, part data science, um, and, it, and a program evaluation too. So it's, it's kind of a little tiny niche thing, but it's really applied in when you're thinking about um, how can societies invest in, in stopping problems from happening? Because um, it's obviously much more expensive to heal someone than prevent them from getting sick, if you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. <laughs> I think um, we're all realizing that with like COVID and everything. We're like, prevention is, is, is less expensive and, and difficult for folks. So that's, that's kind of the analogy. Yeah, it seems like that's a point of, um, that's a major challenge in Tucson specifically with, you know, our schools doing really poorly and uh, there just being a lot of poverty. Um, how, how do small businesses fit into that prevention science? Yeah, I... I think about this in terms of um, kind of, it's like, where do we invest as a society, right? Um, 
And if you look at kind of our economic development trends as na nationally over the last few years, we've been pushing a lot towards kind of conglomerations and these sort of like big macro businesses. A lot of cities want to invest in like capturing that Amazon, want to capture mm -hmm. these big businesses. Um, and, and so really what I'm trying to do when we're thinking about economic development that that's right size for Tucson and for a lot of communities is actually a little bit more ground like bottom up. Um, and we know that small businesses are a, a major producer of jobs. So when we're looking specifically where we are in this moment, um, our financial system isn't as broken as it was in like 2008 with like this major underlying thing um, currently at this very moment, right? Mostly it's just people need jobs. And so what we're really looking for like right now is a perfect time to invest as a society in helping small businesses, um, helping startups that create two thirds of new jobs, um, create are, are responsible for 40%, 47% of jobs overall. Um, and Tucson in general uh, has 97% of our businesses here in Tucson are small businesses. So this is, you know, that's where we really need to be looking at and investing our dollars as a, as a society. So that's kind of the connection is like, where do we want to make the choices as we're investing our public dollars? Yeah. Yeah, those are, uh, you, you said that uh, small businesses make up 47% of jobs. Just, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy number, and it's um, what we've seen. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Um, my mom calls it the United States of Generica because everything's being consolidated. So, so why why do you think you look at every single industry out there right now, and they're growing more consolidated? Why do you think that's happening? I, I mean, there's like so many there's so many myriad of options about why, you know, the cause, right? Cause we can't, I think you can't say it's one specific thing. I think that um, there's definitely barriers when you look at how can you make small businesses competitive and how can you help them grow? Um, I think this, and this is something that really hits on what you're passionate about too. Our fiscal system are not really working for small businesses. They're really designed to uh, favor a lot of these um, you know, bigger conglomerations and these bigger, you know, bigger companies. Um, and so I would say that's one thing that we really want to focus on as a society is how can we create fiscal systems that are uh, small business friendly, that create on ramps for entrepreneurs to to innovate. Um, and, and, and especially for women in minority businesses, this is huge. They are just represent such a small number of the companies that are getting funded through VC or through bank loans. So there's huge barriers there. So that's, um, that's, that's one area that I think that we can agree really needs to be taken a good look at and, and innovations need to happen in that space. Yeah, definitely. If you want to I'm, avoid what your mom says, what does she call it? Generica? <laughs> yeah. United States of Generica. Um, I'm excited. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm going to be interviewing a guy that wrote a book called uh, Bitcoin and Black America. And one of the things it talks about in the book is specifically, um, you know, racism in the monetary system with the banks and, and loans where, um, and a lot of people aren't aware of it, that, that these institutions, like even in the last 10 years, this isn't like a 1960s issue, um, have given minorities loans at higher interest rates than, um, you know, white people. And uh, that has a devastating effect on communities over the long run, because they're essentially uh, starting backwards. And, 
Yeah, I mean, the idea of like the monetary system really favoring large businesses, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that um, because that's something that I think a lot of people are unaware of um, exactly how that works. So like, you know, whether it's tax codes or, um, yeah, it's, it's just weird like to see all these, uh, these um, different places jockeying for Amazon to come and giving them all these like sweet, tax deals and yet these small businesses aren't getting any of it. Um, I think a really clear picture that can resonate with folks just because it was so public when it happened, um, you know, when the CARES Act passed and, and small businesses were all applying for the PPE money, PPP money, <laughs> um, I mean, the major deciding factor about whether you got it like that really quickly or whether you were bounced around was your relationship with your banker. And so, I mean, that's just right there is companies that had, you know, large accounts, they got the sort of white glove treatment. They were able to get their money like this. They had no problems. And then folks who were maybe underbanked at that time or, you know, small businesses who had to like kind of find a bank to connect with. I mean, they were left out in the cold and it's like, wow, what's the irony in that? That's what the money was for, was for these companies that really needed that money to help tide them over for the next few months. So, so I think that's just a tiny, tiny example of these like micro things that happen beneath the surface that people don't know about, but that really make a huge impact if you are that small business and you're not able to access that money when, you know, Shake Shack gets, you know, there are millions of dollars like that, you know, so it's, it's very complex. Um, and it's not easily dismantled, but I think that there, there is some really good news in the horizon of financing. Um, I don't know if you just, the the SEC just raised the limit that startups were able to do through alternative funding for like WeFunder. Um, and I think that's a really great move. So you used to only be able to raise on WeFunder, like I think a million point seven or something. Um, and now they've raised it to 5 million. And I think that that's a really good opportunity because WeFunder um, tends to be a little bit more democratic in the way that folks can access it. Um, it tends to be used heavily by women and minority business owners. Um, and it is, it's an alternative opportunity to traditional bank loans, which you're, which you've talked about, like, you know, has a long history of, you know, in black and white, the, the data just speaks to the, the injustice that is in, in financing. So, so that was, that's good news. Yeah. Um, and Tucson has, is just recently got WeFunder. So that's been really cool for the startup community here is we've been able to have a number of our startups access that platform. That's awesome. I haven't even heard of that one. So I might have to check that out. Um, it's like a crowd-based um, financing. So you're basically allowing other folks to invest in your company, um, you know, small amounts at a time. Uh, so it really, it really creates an equalizing force. Awesome. Yeah, one of the things that I found surprising uh, as I've learned more about small businesses is how many operate um, on a cash only basis. Um, and that's something that I, I saw an interview that uh, one of the news channels did with uh, Paul Mendoza of the Tucson uh, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and and that's something that he brought up was like the importance of small businesses being banked. Um, 
You th- do you think that's going to be like, as we move more digital, do you think that's going to be a challenge for a lot of local businesses is uh, shifting directions with the Yes. Um, and we, we, you know, so right at the beginning when the pandemic hit in March, we were getting a ton of calls from small businesses who were like, I have been meaning to put a website up for like years, but it always kind of got pushed to the back burner. Uh, so I need help getting this e-commerce website set up. How do I do this? Okay, I've got to get this. So we were walking a lot of companies through that. Um, I don't, I don't know if you saw recently Startup Tucson. We just applied for a grant for the USDA to help um, farmers and producers make that transition, that tech transition that they need right now, because. Um, you know, with a lot of the markets not being at full capacity or being closed down altogether, um, their business was 70 to 80% just in these markets and now they're gone. So a lot of them are having to quick pivot to online, thinking about e-commerce, thinking about shelf stable products that they could develop to try to get out there. So, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of complications with this like very rapid transition um, that everybody's kind of being forced to do. Um, and I mean, we saw in my initial study, only 13% of the food producers in our area even had like a modern e-commerce website set up. So there's a lot, a lot of need in that area to, to support folks who have been able to just do kind of mom and pop shops, cash, um, you know, not really worrying about, you know, creating a social media presence or, you know, like really getting their channels all in a line, you know. So um, that's a lot of what we've been doing during this pandemic, Startup Tucson has really been trying to focus a lot on supporting these small businesses with this giant tech gap that exists for them. Yeah. And I think the good news uh, for anybody that's listening that is intimidated by building a website, it's actually a lot easier than you think it would be. And uh, there's a lot of good website builders out there for to use. And I mean, you could be like me and waste a bunch of time coding it yourself. Um, or you could just pay it like a little bit for a website builder um, on like Wix or, you know, there's a million yeah. different ones out there, but. Totally, I like there's, you do not need code. You do not need to have like, you know, there's, there's so many easy services. Um, we started this thing called Launchbox. We'll build you a website, 500 bucks and get it all, get the SEO in line for you, create a plan for you because it just shouldn't be a barrier for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, for this grant, I did. I was going to teach all these farmers how to build their websites, and they were like, "No, no, I don't. I don't care how easy it is. I don't want to build it." So we're like, "Okay, fine, fine, fine. We'll just build it for you," um, because that should not be a barrier. There's so it is. I mean, if you can make a PowerPoint, if you can make a Word document, you could make a website now. I mean, that's how the technology has evolved. So, yeah. So definitely agree with you on that. And for those older generations, uh, that's what your kids are for. <laughs> Correct. Correct. They, they can build a website pretty easily or throw up a facebook page or something yes. like that yes my high schoolers my even my fifth grader could probably build you a website it's it's super mm-hmm. super simple yeah yeah um so what are some issues that you see facing the tucson economy right now um Okay, so like, like, you know, obviously the, the hardest hit sector in all of this pandemic has been small businesses. And like I said, Tucson is basically all small businesses. Um, so, uh, you know, 40,000 40, jobs, in, the Tucson has 40,000 jobs in the kind of 
food industry and retail area. So all of those, that's 40,000 people that are really up in the air right now. And that's a huge challenge. Um, so I think responding well, I think we have pulled together as a community. I think there's some strong silver linings in that situation, but it, it really needs to be a continued investment. Um, our, our second area is really workforce development. We have a lot of companies that feel that they can't find the right talent in Tucson. And then conversely, we have a bunch of really talented people who say they can't find jobs. So I think connecting those, um, I think especially since our tech sector has grown so significantly, 90% in the last couple years, um, we need a ton, a ton, a ton of tech talent. We need developers, um, even in the entry levels, that's, that's really going to be critical to ensuring that, that folks aren't bringing other talent in or, or offshoring talent and so that we could really get locals paid. So um, that's, that's, a, that's a big need that I know that you know, all startups are really concerned about is, is increasing our workforce development in the tech sectors. And we have great programs. Pima is doing amazing stuff with really automation, training a bunch of folks in automation um, to really try to get ahead of um, you know, Arizona really becoming one of the, the critical states for um, driverless vehicles and automation. Um, we've just started a program called Tech Prep where we're helping um, do, uh, you know, it's not a boot camp. It's, there's a whole other story about what that program is, but it's basically we're building, so, you know, really training software developers. Um, but we need a lot more. We need a lot more people that are interested, excited, want to learn, because um, there are people who would love to train you and hire you. So with really great paying jobs. Are there any age restrictions uh, for that class that you do? Um, we just run our pilot. We're actually just wrapping up our pilot. Um, I, uh, obviously the goal, it was, you know, supported through the city of Tucson. So obviously our goal is to get people jobs. So we would love people to be um, over 18 so that they could, you know, be hired. Um, but in terms of learning, uh, in, when we're fully operational and we're, you know, not out of pilot mode, I think that there would be, it would be totally cool to have high schoolers, um, who are interested, you know, getting started early. Cool. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things that I think is really cool about the shift that we're seeing towards tech is, uh, it's such a, um, new frontier. It's well, you know, every, everything ever is tech, but like the way that we use it, the term modernly talking about computers and software and, and stuff like that, every in automation, everything's so brand new um, that sometimes schools are actually uh, way behind in teaching people what they need to know to enter the workforce. So, so classes like that can be really, really useful for kids um, instead of going we have an amazing resource, JTED in Tucson. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but they have, I mean, they're building an amazing, gorgeous new facility and um, they have coding classes, they have manufacturing courses. There, there, there is resources, but I, I completely agree starting from an early age, like coding classes should be built into you elementary. Like, I mean, it's just um, helping kids to even start thinking that way is, is gonna be really important for the long-term growth. Yeah. It, it, it's something that was a bummer. It wasn't even a thought in the back of my head growing up was getting into tech. <laughs> I, I thought it was just for like super nerds that built computers or whatever, but it, it really is one of the, the coolest and most fascinating things that um, anybody can get into. And um, yeah. Um, not, so you talked about, oh, go ahead. 
Well, um, there's the Tucson, I think it's called Tucson Gaming Club. There's, there's, a, there's a gaming community here in town that's actually really, really cool. Um, and they have some sort of game jams. Um, and they have one that's a little bit more open to all ages. And you can actually go to weekend and build games. And I feel like the entry for games is going to be really good for a lot of folks because they're, they're already passionate about games and then being able to build your own. So hopefully there are like little inroads because yeah, getting kids thinking early. I mean, that's just, it's a great career path. Um, starting salaries are super high. It's just, yeah, you have to just kind of like, you know, you're trying to figure out ways to make it exciting. That so, so folks do think of it as an opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, Pima does some good uh, courses that are, mm -hmm. um, you can get an associate's degree in some computer related mm -hmm. uh, uh, thing and get started out with a pretty good uh, salary um, yeah. for not a whole lot of money. Um, yeah. Because it's, I'm in school right now at the University of Arizona, and it's just seeming like a worse and worse decision every day <laughs> because of the amount of money that it takes to do that versus just going and getting an associate's degree and making a good amount of money right away. But um, uh, so you said you said tech has grown ninety percent um, in Tucson. Uh, what what type of tech companies are we seeing growing around here? Um, so kind of our big, our, so Tucson's unicorn company is uh, Too Simple. Um, so they are, uh, they're an auto, uh, self driver, why am I thinking, can't think of the word, um, self driving, uh, like freight trucks, um, for, you know, large scale transportation. Um, so two symbols here, which is really exciting. Caterpillar, obviously, um, they relocated their headquarters here. Um, the Swedish tech company Hexagon located their headquarters to Tucson, their mining headquarters. Um, so that's that's those are you know three really big companies. Um, IBM obviously has been a long-standing tech company in Tucson. Um, and then what they're doing at the tech parks right now is just so killer. So they're, they're building, we're going to have three new incubators, four new incubators have been running um, all over the city. And they are, they're really working with a lot of international startups that they're bringing here. I mean, they're, they're doing really incredible work um, at, at the UACI, University of Arizona Center for Innovation and the tech park. So those are all really exciting um, we've just had we just had a number of big wins. There's a big biotech company that just relocated their headquarters here from San Francisco, um, and they've been really exciting um, to have here. Even even outside of the tech sector, we just had Wow Studios. They're a giant fashion brand out of Seattle. Um, just relocated their headquarters to Tucson. So, like I said, it's just a really exciting time to be here because there's so much growth and all of these companies are desperately hiring. So um, that's where I really identified making sure that we have a, re, uh, you know, a workforce to retain them is going to be critical. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so yeah, I mean, that sounds like pretty big change for the Tucson economy. Um, one of, the, one of the big issues I have with the Tucson economy is the extent of wealth inequality that we see. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a pretty staunch capitalist, um, but I care a lot about wealth inequality um, in my community because it's just awful to watch and we see like a really unfair monetary system. Um, 
do you think that that's going to be an ongoing issue even with all this growth that we're seeing yeah absolutely and i think um yeah it's interesting i i would say that i would say that i'm a super progressive person but at the same time i i really want to create opportunities for business people so people put that as a more of a conservative issue um and and so this kind of just all bubbled over recently there was a big to do about um some incentive programs that downtown was doing to help try to incentivize some growth downtown um but was interesting when it, you know when folks were having conversations about why they were so against this it wasn't just about that it wasn't just about the downtown it wasn't just about the growth or this one particular initiative it was kind of these like decades of built up um anger about how we've really uh as a city um, sort of put growth over community, we've marginalized, uh, we have a fairly um, segregated city. And, and I think that all of those issues really do need to be confronted head on. Otherwise, they're gonna continue to be this conflict where um, you know Tucson does have this reputation in the rest of the state, but elsewhere of just kind of not being able to move forward because we're so at odds with ourselves. And there's this huge anti, you know, if you talk to Phoenicians, they're like, you know, you guys are anti-growth down there. Um, but I, I really do think that like where the central, where we can come together is this idea of smart growth. And like, and, and that's that's kind of where I started off is like, how can we re-envision how we're thinking about economic development and growth? Like, I really don't want to see what happened in the 70s where we just bulldozed these like beautiful barrio neighborhoods um, to put, the TCC, which is fine. <laughs> I don't know if it's totally realized our, our convention center has like, you know, totally paid off for us in in, in all ways that we hoped. Um, but that even just that like that, the, like that came up all the time. It's like my grandmother's home was bulldozed for this. Nobody like nobody's responsible, like nobody's taking responsibility for the choices we've made. Like it, it just it, there's so much heat around the issue. Um, and that that was really interesting to watch unfold and, and just like you it made me think like this needs to be um, more focus needs to be put on this because otherwise it's going to continue to be an us versus them as opposed to creating a unified vision of what Tucson could look like what smart growth looks like um, so I, I totally agree with you yeah yeah I mean that's a big reason why I'm such a um, advocate for or I would even say evangelist for Bitcoin because um, it's it it's pretty wild just watching people's wealth get sucked out of them from inflation um, and I think it's a really unfortunate situation and it's not talked about it's not like I mean there's there's sometimes uh, you know some people that will. Uh, point out to the Fed chair that his policies of printing endless amounts of money um, create wealth inequality, but uh, that's a big thing that I want to see happen is people to be able to store their wealth securely and safely and and not just <laughs> um, get it taken from them by some like secretive tax that isn't <laughs> talked about. Um, so, oh, here, here's a hot button issue, Tucson issue. Um, <laughs> So there, there's some talk that the gem show might be moving. Um, have you heard anything about that? Oh, uh, relocating out of Tucson? Mm -hmm. I think to Denver. 
No, that would, no, I have not on my, on my radar heard that. That would, that would, that would be a huge, that would be a huge change for Tucson. A lot of folks have sort of pinned a lot of their economic development plans on the jump show being sort of a central um, event. Where, okay, now I want to know about this. <laughs> Where are you hearing this? And I wonder why. I'm fact checking myself right now. <laughs> well, I know that they canceled it due to the pandemic, which is a huge, yeah. huge, uh, why isn't my internet loading? Yeah, it's the, it's very interesting. Like the Tucson Festival of Books, the Gem Show, I mean, um, these, these are these like huge events that, that Tucson really relies on to bring outside money in. Um, Tucson Beat Yourself as well, it tends to be a little bit more regional. I think that the Gem Show is just super international in the way that it um, attracts folks. Um, and we don't have, we don't have a ton of events that are, uh, would be lining up to take its place. I, I run a festival called 10 West Festival um, and we've been growing. Last year we had 14,000 people, um, but you know, making that jump from a regional and local festival that's, you know, that's popular to an inter like a national and international is just a huge jump. So now I'm like, now I'm like on the edge of my seat here. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm not finding anything. I just saw that they canceled it. It might just be in the rumor mill. I might have just brought up some fake news, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to look into it. Yeah, I should have fact checked it. It just popped in my head for some reason. That would be a pretty awful thing if that would happen. And that's kind of interesting how uh, I think that's one of the benefits of moving more to a tech-based economy is that you're less reliant on these certain things. Um, and we've seen big tech kind of flourish during the, uh, the pandemic for sure. Um, I think it's gonna have a long-term impact on how people are thinking about work, thinking about location, thinking about where they're choosing to live. Um, it's, you know, obviously I think if you've been paying attention to the news, I think a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking about, well, why is it that I'm living in this city that's super expensive? Um, if I'm going to be working at from home and now it looks like I could be working from home for a long time, let me try to find another city that I can get a little bit of quality of life. I can get a better um, investment, you know, a little bit, my dollar stretches a little further. Um, this month, actually, actually next week, <laughs> um, uh, we are launching Remote Tucson. So we're actually going to be incentivizing folks to move here um, and we've actually, we, not even advertising it, nothing. We've already got a ton of folks that are interested. We've had people um, from Google that have been signing up for information. They're really interested in moving to Tucson. Um, and there's a number of like perks and benefits that we're, that we're offering to help make that transition a little smoother. But there's cities around the country that are also doing this and it's been really effective because the, you know, the ROI of these big cities in a pandemic is just, is not working out. The, the numbers aren't working for folks and just like needing space. And that's something that we can offer here. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things to offer here that people find attractive is, you know, uh, other than a few months, the weather's okay. And, uh, 
the cost of living is so low. Um, it is just so unbelievably low in comparison to a lot of these other um, cities out there. Um, I remember you, when I was living here from Brooklyn and I was like looking up what I could get for my studio apartment. It was like 2100 in, in Brooklyn. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can get like a five bedroom house and a pool. This is crazy. <laughs> so it was like, and, and honestly, I wasn't, I was making more, but I wasn't making like so much more. Uh, so we are definitely spoiled in Tucson, you know, that we can get really nice, affordable housing. Um, I know Tucsoners don't feel that it's affordable, but in the general scope of things, it is considered affordable housing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can have a very comfortable lifestyle. I never thought like I'd be able to purchase a house. I thought I was able to do that, start paying down student loans, just all the things that are pressuring young people right now. Um, living in living in cities, uh, you know, is making that really complicated to actually get ahead in your life. And like what you're talking about, like build wealth, like you just can't build wealth in a big city as a young person. If you have student loans, like all of your money is just out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inflation, I, I think part of the reason why people uh, feel like um, the cost or don't really realize the cost of living in Tucson is inflation is still present here. You know, housing is always consistently getting more expensive, healthcare, education, you know, everything pretty much. Um, uh, and salaries uh, haven't kept up. I mean, just yeah. recently the economic dashboard, you know, salaries have gone up a little bit, but um, you know, you, you do have, you do have a significant issue where, you know, you know, offering someone with 10 years experience and a master's degree, $33,000 is just, it's not, you can't do that. <laughs> like that's just not what, you know, that, that is not keeping up with a rate that, that folks need to pay, especially if you layer on student loans, which is a, you know, is a major expense for folks month to month. And it doesn't matter where you go, that follows you. Yeah. Yeah. Student loans are an absolute killer. I mean, it, it's pretty wild to, there was so much pressure uh, put on me by my community and family to go to school. And I refused to do it for a very long time because I was like, I'm not just doing something because I'm supposed to, I want it. I need to want to do it. And I think something I had going for me is hating school. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's so many 18 year old kids, 17, 18 year old kids that just go to school and getting these insane amounts of debt um, and don't know what they're doing and get degrees like sociology degrees or whatever that, you know, or psychology is the one I see commonly where people will be working entry-level jobs with uh, five, six figures of student loan debt. Um, uh, and it's just, it's just crazy to me. Um, I had really hoped like I was gonna be the last, so I graduated from undergraduate in 2008 and like that was so traumatizing for me. I was like, okay, I graduated with my cute little like, private school history degree and I'm going to move to New York City and it'll be fine and then it was just like not fine um, and like the stories of everybody that was in that cohort of classes I, I had hoped that it was like everyone's eyes had been opened because like like you I mean it was just like just go get a liberal arts degree it's fine and you know I worked really hard in school so I tried to go to the like fanciest school I could um, and the numbers just like don't work out that way um, so I had hoped that I would have been the last generation to do it, but no, it's still happening. But people are looking at alternative, 
you know, people are realizing that you've really got to make numbers work out for if that's really what you're going to do. Education is obviously awesome and it, and it mm -hmm. does over the lifetime tend to have, you tend to have more wealth over your lifetime if you do graduate. But um, just again, like similar to what we were talking about finance, there has to be lots of viable opportunities and alternatives to, to give people tons of choice rather than like, this is the one path to go on. And I'm feeling that way right now. I feel like there's a lot of folks that are graduating in 2020 and folks that graduated in 2008. I've actually had a lot of younger people be like, okay, well, you know, what's it like, what should I do? How do I do this? Um, because I think there's, there's something really stressful about entering, you know, the worst job market ever, I thought, until this one came up. So I feel, I feel really bad for, for young people who are trying to like start carving their way. And that will impact their economics for the rest of their life. Like people who graduated in 2008, 2009, 2010, they were put on an economic path that is lower than the year right before them. So these have long-term consequences for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I am super, uh, I'm a big advocate for learning and educating. Um, I think that's super important to always be reading something, to always be talking with smart people, to be asking questions, um, to be stepping outside of your little echo chamber, um, to hear differing opinions. I've been, I've been going and listening been grading my teeth but i've been trying to understand modern monetary theory and it's just like <laughs> makes my head spin at just how preposterous a lot of it seems but but you know i i it's important to like let my personal opinions go um and that's something that i really like about you guys is you offer mentorship um and consulting uh to help people um and i think it's a great opportunity for for business owners um either already existing or people that are considering to go and uh, get some coaching. Um, but yeah, um, am I, do you think I, am I the first Bitcoiner to go through Tucson startup? Um, there's a couple, there's a couple folks in the community that have gone through um, in a couple years before. Um, but recently in recent co cohorts, I think, I think it's been you and maybe one other person that have been interested in Bitcoin. Bitcoin for me is like, I, I would love to learn more. I think maybe I need to do some more education on it too. Cause you know, I've, I've like read the things and I sort of like, I get the ideas, but then when it comes to like, we were talking, you know, before we started here about this idea of FinTech and like um, how many new technologies and innovations are happening in the finance sector. I continue to think about like, how does Bitcoin feel? Cause it always feels like this like rebellion from the mm -hmm. status quo. And I'm curious about learning more about um, how does it fit into the whole ecosystem of other financing tools that people are using? Um, and when, when will it start to be something, when will the technology catch up to it so that folks can actually be using it more regularly? You were talking about a Tucson startup um, that actually, you know, helps you make payments with it. And just all those things that could make it actually more utilized for business and individuals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bitcoin's a big paradigm shift. So we were talking earlier about like farmers struggling to uh, um, uh, set up websites. And I feel like the normal person um, 
it, it's kind of a similar situation. You look at Bitcoin and there's a big disconnect because a lot of people don't have any sort of foundation when it comes to knowing what money is. And, uh, and Bitcoin is like a whole new money that has never been seen before. It is completely different um, because one, it is fully digital, which is kind of a relatively new thing. Um, and two, it's not controlled by any sort of central authority. So it's a big, big shift. Um, but yeah, it is going to be interesting to see the shifts over the next couple of years. And I got to warn you, once you, uh, once you get into it, it's kind of a wormhole. Um, yeah. it's, it, it'll, it'll suck you away and make you like the world. How do you feel that the pandemic has impacted folks' perspectives of Bitcoin? Has it, has it increased the interest in it? I think, yeah, it's been crazy. 2020 has been a crazy year for Bitcoin. Um, there's been tons of new people uh, coming in the space. So I, I did an interview with a guy in Canada that's a, a restaurant owner and he has uh, three separate restaurants. So he's a small business and he decided, um, he, he wasn't into Bitcoin before 2020 and he decided to put all of his uh, savings his company's savings in Bitcoin because he's like, you know, this money printing is just insane. Like I cannot trust that my cash will be worth anything in the future um, because there is a huge precedent for inflation um, of currencies and destroying wealth and businesses. And then probably like one of the biggest, I mean, that's been probably the biggest shift in 2020 is corporations putting it on their uh, balance sheets, um, whether it's a, uh, Square putting a very small portion of their money in, they'll probably increase or micro strategy putting a huge portion of their um, uh, cash reserves into Bitcoin. I mean, a very um, $425 million um, because the CEO uh, described their cash as like sitting on a melting ice cube. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's an increased demand. Like people realize that um the monetary system is broken you know it's only being reinforced uh as we're watching uh what's happening uh you know where there's like corporate socialism and everybody else is left out to dry um it, it's just like so blatant i think people are like looking for ways to opt out and I mean, one of the biggest things is like people are looking for places where they can store their value and there's so much uncertainty like the, the go-to probably has been um, real estate. I mean, that's always kind of the go-to. Um, we've seen the buying markets go insane in real estate. Um, but uh, there, we've also seen um, gold perform really well uh, in kind of traditional safe havens. Um, but Bitcoin is- because I was, what, one of- the job that I was able to get when I moved to New York in 2008 was at a like gold refinery. And I was like buying people's gold. Everybody was going crazy. It was like a whole, it was like this like Turkish gold refinery. It was a whole crazy story. So I was like in the diamond district of New York city, like melting gold into bars. So, and I just remember I got totally saturated in like the whole gold and culture which is very different for people in the united states don't use gold as much but in other economies where they've seen a lot of volatility they everybody puts everything in gold you like buy gold as wedding presents graduation pre like gold is just the the safe um 
you know, way to store your money. So I was curious if, if Bitcoin is, is similar to gold in that way that in times of, you know, when you see economic turbulence, you, you see a lot of folks kind of looking for alternative ways. And it, it sounds like that is what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like a lot of people get into Bitcoin for different reasons. Uh, it's definitely proving itself to be a store of value in crazy times right now um, as it's performing really well um, up 100% year to date and, uh, you know, up 23% in the past month. I mean, there's really not any other asset class out there that can really compete with that. Um, gold hasn't done anything close to that. It's done well, it's done really well, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things and why I feel Bitcoin specifically is really helpful for a Tucson economy is we have so many, uh, um, migrants here and cross-border, uh, payments is insane. It's just absolutely insane to try and send money across a border and Bitcoin, you can send it like within an hour very, very easily. Like if you've ever sent Bitcoin um, versus sending a wire transfer, it's like a million times easy. You don't deal with fees. Um, I mean, there's some benefits, like there's certain banks in Mexico you can send money to pretty inexpensively. Um, but it, it's just kind of that universal money. And I think like for remittances is one of the biggest use cases um, for people. Like I send pe money to, to people in Mexico and it's super super easy and they're like wow you know this is cool and um so i mean i i think it'll be a growing thing it's definitely a generational thing i think like some of the older generations um will be kind of slow to get into it because it it's just difficult it, it's digital they they want there's this idea that you know you need physical things um uh like gold um to store your value but you know for younger people that that don't really use things in the physical world. I mean, it's just kind of like, like you were talking about gaming earlier, like the, the world of, of gaming is just so different and crazy. And what, what's happening right now um, with microtransactions and, and stuff like that, like people's, my entire life is on the internet, you know, yeah. like I, I go to school on zoom, you know, I do these podcasts on zoom. Um, on my Twitter kid, my kid um, lost a tooth. And so, you know, I put a, put a dollar under the pillow. Um, and then he like woke up and he was like, what am I going to do with this? Can I have an Amazon gift card? <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this dollar. And so I think that's like a really good, uh, you know, illustration of what you're talking about where you're like, why? I mean, I, I barely even keep cash on me. Like if I have cash on me, it's like totally crazy. I had to like go special to get this dollar for the tooth fairy. And then he was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> so like that generation is, and you're, you know, it's going to be completely comfortable. I can see that happening. And especially as, as like what we're talking about, if we are looking at more folks working remotely, Hey, I don't need to work from here. I'm thinking this weekend of going to Mexico and, and working remotely from there. Um, you know, this, the obvious advantage of being able to not have your currency tied to a particular country and being able to transfer things easily, that all makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think like the biggest paradigm shift um, that Bitcoin brings is the complete, um, 
it reshapes our relationship with government um, because right now we have a very coercive relationship where they essentially put a gun to our head and tell us to pay us pay them taxes and then they go and like mismanage the money very blatantly in front of us and like a lot of our local governments are completely broke and they act really irresponsibly with like uh um uh what you call it deficit spending so like i had uh i've had some people on from truth and accounting which is a think tank in chicago um and they monitor all the local governments and, and it's pretty crazy like you know you look at the arizona pensions on their website and they look terrible um you know and that people are like relying on that they can't just like end their careers and not get their pensions um because of the like their retirement's built into that it's built into social security um and you know their whole lives they're forced to pay taxes and put money into these things that are supposed to be there for them and and if they're not it's it's pretty terrible now you take something like bitcoin one it preserves your wealth because it's not getting debased um like monetary policy in, in regards to the dollar or any fiat currency is very, very unpredictable. Like we, we don't know what's going to happen. Bitcoin, it's fixed. You know, there's an inflation rate that cuts in half every four years until it reaches the total supply of 21 million uh, Bitcoin. So you know the supply and you can verify it by just running like some software. So anybody can verify it. You know, there's no way for you and I to verify how much gold there is in the world. Um, you know, there's counter gold counterfeiting coming out of China, which is really popular. Um, I mean, I guess you could verify if it's real or not, but it's really expensive to do so. Um, uh, there's no way to verify how many dollars are out there. Um, uh, stocks are kind of like a weird system where of IOUs, um, and and so. One, Bitcoin is a lot harder to confiscate because, you know, like if the IRS comes after you or something like that, um, and, and, and this is where people kind of turn their brains off because they're like, oh, this guy's like some crazy libertarian or whatever. But, you know, there, there really is a precedence throughout all human history for government abuse. And like to live in the U.S. and to say that there's never been government abuse is, is pretty naive. Um, you know, because we can talk about like racist policies that we've seen um, in the country, like even in 2020, um, you know, there will always be groups that are targeted unfairly, um, you know, and, and it's generally going to be minorities. And so like something like this really empowers uh, people. So um, and the biggest way of empowerment is just not getting poorer and poorer every single day. Um, as the money printer just goes burr like that's probably the biggest like savings is important um, and it's really difficult to save because you go and you're budgeting and you're being responsible and not getting a lot of debt and then you're putting all this money away into you have to put it into assets and these assets aren't guaranteed like the stock market is honestly a big ponzi casino um you know these 401ks you know you don't know where the money's necessarily going a lot of it's going to like i just watched a crazy documentary of all this of these wealth managers putting all this money in like these like fraudulent chinese companies and it's just like one big bubble um and the you know the pensions are horribly misrun and it's just a crazy game um so yeah
I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Bitcoin because it's a big big um, shift of empowering people. And like, if you're a business owner, you know, and you have cash reserves, you can put your money in cash, which is going to just depreciate in value. Um, you know, and as it depreciates, you have to raise your prices and you know pay your workers less and and uh, even lay people off, or you can opt out into a new monetary system that better serves you. Um, and yeah, if anybody needs help, like, you know, I, I love BTC pay, you, you know, it's free software that you can run for e-commerce and, and start accepting Bitcoin. It's, it's awesome. Like, um, but yeah. Um, is that, is that kind of the major, like when we are looking at technology, that's like a major paradigm shift. Like we were talking earlier about, you know, driverless vehicles, or even when electric vehicles came on, there was this sort of like a sudden need for infrastructure, like, oh, well, mm -hmm. where are we going to get our chargers? Like, what do you think are kind of the major infrastructure things that need to be in place before it can be, okay, cool, I can actually participate in this, and I'm not going to come into a bunch of blockages. It's not going to you know, challenge the way, you know, obviously something like Squarespace you had mentioned earlier coming on, that's going to make it a lot easier for a business player because they don't want to change everything they do to accommodate a new system. So like those infrastructure pieces that can facilitate the paradigm shift. Yeah. I mean, I think the infrastructure is already here. Um, and uh, that's kind of where I come in is like helping people with it. Um, um, but uh yeah, they, I mean, they have the payment processor software. So one of the biggest issues, like I was in a local coffee shop um, right towards the beginning of the pandemic when they had the shutdowns. And uh, one of the things they talked about was they used a payment processor that was jacking up the rates. So their business is getting demolished um, and the payment processors jacking up the rates. There's tons of Bitcoin payment processors out there where you can opt in and get the same exact thing except accepting a better money, you know, that's little, little work. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that these payment processors offer is just convenience. Um, you know, you can track your stuff or you can go through and do a little bit more work, um, which you probably would only do if you're as ideological as me, but, um, and, and use like the open source software, um, and get the same thing. Like it's, it's just as easy to accept Bitcoin as it is to, um, you know, have somebody swipe their card, you know, mm -hmm. they just send it via QR code. And I mean, I think one of the biggest benefits right now is like you slap a, I accept Bitcoin sticker on the window. And now you have access to a niche community of people that are going to go and try and spend their Bitcoin there just because you accept Bitcoin. Now, like the infrastructure on a larger scale is getting built out. So there's rumors that, um, Venmo is going to be offering Bitcoin um, because they've seen Cash App kill it with their Bitcoin uh, sales. And um, now PayPal's getting into it too, which is insane, you know, because yeah. it's like. Yeah, those are major players. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and I don't know like how necessarily good it is, but I, I feel like it's much better to be on the front end of this um, to learn about the technology and implement it. Um, rather than waiting until you have no choice but to do it. Um, because like the end game, now we don't know what the timeline looks like, but the end game of, of our currency is it's going to zero. Like, you know, we've seen this happen countless times and we're seeing it happen all over the world of like these crazy inflation numbers. 
Um, now, a lot of people like economists will laugh at that and say, we don't experience inflation. And the reason why they say that is because they don't measure inflation in a way that's meaningful. Like they, they pick and choose and cherry pick the numbers. Like expanding the monetary supply by 22% in a year um, or 7% in a year will inflate things. Like we've seen it um, mm -hmm. go up. Even if you look at CPI, which I think is a horrible metric, ever since 1971, it's been like on a straight, um, it's shot straight up. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I, I think that, like, I think a more accurate number, it's really, really, really hard to measure. Um, it's hard to get accurate economic data anywhere because there's so many different factors. Um, but uh, there's a guy that I really like, his name is Ed Butowski and he came up with this thing called the Ch Chapwood Index. And so he takes 500 goods um, and uh, create a basket of 500 goods and measures the increase um, in price every year and, and uses it to measure like the increase of cost of living. So like the average increase in cost of living per year in Tucson is like, according to that index is 8.2%, um, which is pretty crazy per year. Um, so we, I, I think it's really, really important, you know, for individuals to figure out how to um, address that issue of like, what do you do to preserve your wealth? Because you have to beat 8.2% a year or you're getting poorer and poorer. And then also for business owners to like protect themselves against our horrible monetary policies. Because <laughs> like, oh, I mean, it's just one one savings is good because we never know when some crazy black swan event like COVID's going to come like you just you, the the idea of like um constantly overextending i mean there's a reason why our economy is in such horrible shape right now is because this is the, how the monetary system incentivizes things like you it's stupid to have cash because it's it's um, losing value. So it's much better to, you know, take out more debt because the debt will be cheaper in the future and then you can grow faster. But eventually that cycle comes to an end and you have to pay up. And, uh, you know, this is where I go crazy listening to MMT people is because they're like, you know, that idea is a myth, you know, that savings is good and that like we have to like budget as governments and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the converse of all of that, of the entire system. It, it is a savings technology. It's a better form of money. It's peer to peer. So like, you know, if you want, if you hate the payment processors, like I do, you know, I mean, I, I signed up for one, you know, to accept cash as donations. I was just like, the fees are just insane. Yeah. They're just insane. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really, it really is. I mean, that's, that's where you get a lot of small business that are kind of squeezed between a rock and a hard place. There's like, they're basically just on that edge. And that's why something like COVID, like you mentioned, just knocks them out because they haven't had an opportunity to do a lot of savings because, you know, there's just so many little things that chip away at their ability to, to create revenue. And then, I mean, from the part of our mind is like, oh, well, you have all these companies and that's all they care about. You know, they have this revenue and they're just, there's, so that is like one segment of companies that are, you know, 
bad actors, but for the, like we were talking about, the majority in Tucson, 97%, are really just operating on these like razor thin margins. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's really like what, that's what I'm passionate about at Startup Tucson is really reducing the risk that we can. As you mentioned, there's sort of these like existential risks that are in our economy as a whole. But as a business owner, what can you control? What choices can you make? Um, to mitigate the risk because you know starting a business as you know is is risky and there's um there's a lot of choices that you have to make just like that with your payment processing like oh is there a better way that i can do this mm -hmm. is there a way that i can um you know make smarter choices from from the get-go so that i'm not getting myself in a situation where i'm overextending myself or or spinning up a business that people that doesn't have customers you know these are these are big things that have people have to 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 think about Yep. So, yeah. Yep. But, I guess, but at the existential level, I mean, it's just so hard because day to day, like all these things are operating um, and impacting people, individuals and businesses. And they basically like, how can I thrive within that at the mm -hmm. moment <laughs> until there is a major paradigm shift? And there will be. Trust me. Um, yeah, 2021 is going to be an interesting year. And I, I think there's still going to be a lot of continued pain. We can't just print our problems away. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are doing good work. Uh, maybe maybe I could uh, help you guys set up uh, the ability to accept Bitcoin. Um, where, where are some good places that people can follow your work? Yeah, so we have um, we have Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're doing a little bit more on LinkedIn now, trying to. Uh, so Startup Tucson, at Startup Tucson on all of those handles. Um, StartupTucson.com. Uh, anyone can reach up to me, Dre, at StartupTucson.com. Um, and, you know, it, what, what we really do as an organization is try to be, as a nonprofit, we're kind of like a hub. So if you come to us and you're like, hey, I'm looking for this, um, if we can't provide you that, and if that's not what we do, we will find you a partner or a community within Tucson where that is a good fit. So, um, so definitely if folks are, are thinking about starting a business, have a business, um, are thinking about pivoting a business, an existing business, like absolutely reach out to us and we'll, we'll try to get you set on the right path. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I anybody that's a new uh, is tossing around entrepreneurial ideas. I I direct them to you. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. Are you are you guys on on Twitter? No, we have an account. Um, we have such a small staff, and you know, if you have a dead Twitter, it's just like super sad. So we sort of just pulled ourselves off of that. Um, that is something that we'd like to expand to because. We, you know, we're really lean, we're, people a lot of are coming to us for questions about kind of these bigger issues, policy issues, um, and we have a lot of opinions about them. So, so we're thinking yeah. about expanding that, but um, it's just a bandwidth issue. Yeah, no kidding. I get it. Um, I love Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. It's like the best networking. I, I swear, Twitter is a million times better than LinkedIn in regards to networking, but... It's so um, direct. You can just... It, yeah, it's it's great. I've, I've had times in my life where I was very much into Twitter, but it is like a commitment. I feel like it's like a new relationship. You have to like commit to it because mm -hmm. um, it's it can suck you in. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely a black hole and it can be kind of toxic sometimes. But yeah, um, so do you guys accept uh, donations? We do. Yes, cool. we do. 
Um, we are, all of our programs and services are, are free or low cost. So um, support from the community is really, really awesome. We have, um, we have a little, as if you donate, we get little uh, recognitions and different little surprises and things from us. And so um, you can go to our donation page and look um, at the different levels of support that you that you can engage with. Um, or if you're somebody who has a business who um, could would be interesting in mentoring, we are always, always, always looking for great mentors um, to help support entrepreneurs. That's awesome. Yeah. Make sure to donate to Startup Tucson so they can get a Twitter account rolling. <laughs> And and when you say low cost, it, it's like really low cost. I did, yeah. I did the one of the one on one classes, yeah. yeah, and it was yeah startup labs one on one. It was ten dollars, so that and it was incredible. It was so helpful, um, and it, it is worth it. It's the price of a Nico's burrito. Like, and the value that you get from it is just unbelievable. So if you're thinking about doing a business, please do go check these guys out. Right. Yeah. The 101 is a really great way. It's a two hour class, just super overview. Um, I think since you've taken yours, we started the startup fundamentals, which is basically a six part series of that. And then we have a demo day at the end where you pitch in front of investors and mentors. Um, and then we have a new thing that we've just added recently is called the momentum mentors sprint so you get paired with a mentor in an area of a goal that you want to achieve um and for two months you we have sort of a structured mentorship program and it's really to help you get to that next level so um yeah we've we added a ton of we've been very busy over COVID and adding a bunch of these things that had been on our our wish list and now we had a little bit of time so we um we've been adding a ton um but the 101 that you took that's a great way just to kind of dip your toe in the water. We also have like weekly free coffee bites where you can just come in 15 minutes, tips and tricks. And um, we're obviously everything's digital now. Um, and those are all free. And that's just a way to kind of start to connect with people in your community who are, you know, innovation minded and also mm -hmm. starting businesses. Um, so those are, if folks are out there, they're not sure, those are always great just to come and connect and meet people. That's awesome. Yeah. Networking's huge. Um, well, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was a really fun conversation. Yeah, I love talking to you, Alex. And thank you for all your kind words. I'm glad you had a good experience. Um, and yeah, I, I'm super fascinated with this topic. I'm so glad that you invited me on to, to talk about uh, economic development and also learned a lot from Bitcoin. So this was great for me too. Yeah, hopefully you'll uh, um, take the orange pill sooner than later. <laughs> Well, that was a really fun conversation with Dre, and she's great. She just has such a good vantage point on the uh, local economy and on uh, the importance of small businesses. She did a really good job of explaining that, um, and it's important. I, I brought up uh, a story that I couldn't verify. I, I went back and, and looked at it, and I, I might have either misheard somebody or uh, uh, somebody told me something that wasn't accurate, but um, the idea of the gem show moving out of Tucson. Um, so I apologize for that. Uh, it brought up some really interesting things though. You know, the importance of small businesses in our community. There's so many small businesses that are involved in that show from restaurants to 
uh, vendors selling gems to uh, hotels hosting people that uh, play a major role in our local economy. And if those businesses fails, we're really going to be struggling even more so as a community. So things like that are really important. puts into perspective how important entrepreneurs are. Uh, a lot of times, like, something that bothers me when people talk about the economy is that it's just very depersonalizing. You know, it, it's kind of this, like, big monolith uh, and people tend to think of their uh, employer or think of like the stock market and it doesn't factor in these small businesses and, and Dre said that small businesses provide 47% of jobs in the country which is just mind-boggling to think about you know so that's like almost half and uh, it's you know this is like businesses that provide um, incomes for people to put food on the table and without them it's just kind of a scary thought uh so yeah i mean things like this are really important you know to support local because they tend to pay better they tend to be more ethical they tend it you know one thing that's really apparent is competition is one of the most important things in economies and small businesses are competing and they're competing against these giant corporations um so to support them is really supporting your community and supporting America um, and, and capitalism. Ultimately, you know, you're supporting your, yeah, I would, whatever, tangent over. Um, if you like the uh, podcast, love for you to get the word out there, tell your friends, family, uh, subscribe, um, anything that you can do to like boost the algorithm would be great leaving reviews commenting on the video on youtube or you know whatever um you can also support me on patreon uh and patreon is just an awesome platform um you know i prefer if you were to donate to me to send me bitcoin you know and i'll i'll uh be happy to uh add you to the zoom meetup but um uh yeah, I mean, I want to see the adoption of Bitcoin in our community, and I am really passionate about it because I hate the things that we're seeing with the broken monetary system and just the screwed upness of our money. Um, so yeah, any way that I can do that, I'd love to. You know, so if you're a business owner, I'd love to help you out, to get set up with a. Um, BTC pay server, you know, to start accepting Bitcoin, you know, selling it on, selling stuff on websites, you know, they have so much good stuff. Um, and it is kind of technical, but yeah, I mean, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, probably the best way on Twitter is to reach out to the Tucson Bitcoin podcast. Um, and yeah, we can meet up and talk Bitcoin. Uh, but yeah, really appreciate you listening. Have a good one.